Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Now, I want to introduce to you our guest speaker for today. Michael Marcel is with us. Michael is a revival historian. Now, a revival, what is that? You know, a lot of things come to mind when you say the word revival. Michael's going to help define some of what that is for us today. But um, he has been, Michael has been meticulously researching and studying moves of God in this nation over the last 200 or so years, probably going further back than that. And as we have been doing this series about pursuing the presence of God, Lauren and I just were recalling some of the stories that we've heard Michael tell. And we just thought it would be so helpful for him to come and share with us what he's gleaned in, in his studies over the years to whet your appetite. For the presence of God, as well as stir faith in your heart for what God can do in our society. Because I believe we need a revival in our society. We need a move of God in our culture desperately. And so as Michael shares today, I just want you to ask the question, God, what do you want to do today? How are you wanting to move in our culture today? I think there's something that God wants, to, uh, faith that God wants to impart to us today about what he has in store for uh, the UK, what he has in store for Sheffield, what he has in store for this church. So let's give him a warm welcome as he comes up. Michael, come join us. Thank you. I don't really need to say anything now. Todd's just about, about done it. Uh, it's so lovely to be back here um, and to be back with uh, uh, Todd and Lauren and her family. Um, I've got a particular affinity for Nate as we were out uh, yesterday having tea and I realized he has a, we share a passion together, and, which is chocolate. <laughs> Although most of it landed on his face and clothes, it, uh, it reminded me of me a few years ago. Um, I'm so grateful that uh, Lauren and, and, and Todd have been ministering in this nation. We so need people like them here and that they would sacrifice their time uh, from being from their homeland to come and minister here is, is fantastic. I imagine most of you don't remember my last appearance here. It was uh, eight years ago. And uh, you may not remember what I said, but you may remember if you were here, that I had a bell to uh, kind of uh, uh, try and announce revival. And when I rang it, it kind of came apart. Bits flew uh, into the congregation. It was a bit dangerous. <laughs> I, I just realized I still got the bell in my car. Um, I hadn't used it since. Um, I am, as Todd said, I am, well, I was, I was an accountant. And I am a historian. And as an accountant, I think those go quite well together because I'm quite precise uh, in what I do. And I think historians need to be precise. Um, God called me 25 years ago to pray over the wells of the nation. He called me very clearly. And I had no idea what the wells were. And so I had to go and find out. And I actually only realized last month that probably what God... Because I, everybody thinks I'm an intercessor because I go around praying over the nation. But I'm not in any way. And if you knew how much I prayed over... I mean, when I go to these places, it's very brief. Everybody thinks I sit there for half an hour waiting to hear what God says. But I'm there for about 30 seconds. And... And then the penny finally dropped about a month ago. And I realized that actually God wanted me to find out about our spiritual past. He wasn't really interested in my doing the intercession bit. Uh, he wanted me to, to dig up all this information and share it with the people uh, of this nation. And uh, it only took me 25 years to realize that. History is so important, particularly now. I mean, in today's society, history is being twisted for political purposes. 
Uh, I'm not, uh, this is not uh, Christian history, but history generally. Um, people, it's revisionist. And we need to know what happened in our past because things are hidden there that we, didn't, we don't know anything about. I found two or three things which were hidden uh, that I found in revivals of the past and uh, which we need to know now. And I'll be telling you a bit about that. I can only touch on the subjects that I'm talking about. So um, please, I have a website, uh, ukwells.org, and uh, yeah, there we go. And um, on it, I've got recorded 4,000 places where revival has occurred in this nation. And there's a map, and you can, you can uh, if you're going somewhere and you want to know whether anything's happened in that area, or at least anything I've found, you can see it there. Also on the website, there are um, uh, my books. Oh, my books. Yes, I've, I've just got two with me today. Um, Prepare for Revival. I thought that went well with the talk. And Travailing Prayer, which you will hear about also later. They're, they're very cheap. This is five pounds. This is three pounds. You can get them over that. Um, and on the website also, uh, my latest thing is I do, I'm doing videos. And videos of, I've, I've got a series of about uh, 23 called My Forgotten Heroes. They're only about 10 minutes, but they're about ordinary, mostly ordinary people who have done extraordinary things in the past. And I find them really inspirational. And uh, the stories rather than me doing them. And... Uh, I've also done a series of, there's also a series of talks on revival, um, which uh, if you want to know more about the, the things I'm mentioning, uh, I, I expand on them in, in those talks. And finally, I've got a series, my latest series is on revivals. And uh, I'm currently getting ready to do a film on the 1859 revival and the 1620s revivals. So um, please use those, uh, that facility is all, all free there. And um, I think it'll be helpful. Okay. Um, revival. Uh, what is it? Um, revival, the word revival comes from a saying, revival of religion. Now, in the old days, everybody went to church. If they didn't, they were fined. And so everybody had a basis of knowledge of the Bible. So when a move of God came, um, that was revived in them, and hence the word revival. But it doesn't really relate to today, because most people today don't know the Bible, and so there's nothing to revive. I, I have a better word for it, but revival is the one everybody uses, and it, and it really sounds good, so we'll, we'll, we'll stick with that. But a move of God I divide into four. Let us say a move of God comes here to this church and you will be refreshed or renewed. And uh, that is like Toronto. Uh, those of you old enough to remember Toronto, uh, that was a renewal, um, uh, a refreshing. And, but then once it's in the church, then you take it out into the society and people then get awakened to... God being what they need. And that's my preferred word, actually, is awakening. Um, but then, uh, once it's immersed in society, you get reformation. And then when it's really, really immersed in society, you get transformation. And I've only been to one place where there's been transformation, and that was in Almolonga in Guatemala. You may have heard of it, some of you. They have vegetables uh, this big. Um, I, the bananas are literally this big. And yet a cabbage you have to carry like this. Uh, it's extraordinary. They have 88% uh, born again uh, in, in the town and no prisons and no pubs. And it's extraordinary. And that's what we want. At least that's what I want. <laughs> there are two types of revival. Um, there, are, there are revivals, there are uh, men and women who are revivalists. They carry an anointing for revival. 
Now, somebody like the Jeffrey brothers, who came to the Lord in the 1904 Welsh Revival, the Jeffrey brothers, uh, 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 George Jeffreys would go, he would say, come here. He would hire this hall, and he would then start to preach. People would start to come and hear him. Many gave their lives to Jesus. And then they, when he left, oh, he'd start a church here. Then when he left, the anointing went with him. It didn't spread into the community. It was on him, and it went where he went. And that's one type of revival. But the revival we really want is the sovereign move of God, where the presence of God comes over the church, where it comes over the city, where it comes over the nation. And the presence of God just is everywhere. And that's what I long for. That's, that's what so many of us long for. Um, the sovereignty of God is a bit of a controversial issue. Um, somebody called Charles Finney, who was an American revivalist, amazing man, he believed that if you did A, B, C, revival would come. In other words, it was nothing to do with God. It was all to do with us. And he was not correct. And then on the other end of the scale is that we can't do anything. It's all God, and there's no point us doing anything because it's up to God anyway. And I don't believe that's right anyway. I come sort of towards there. I believe that, that God ha in, has created us to bring about his plans and purposes on the earth. So it's a partnership between him and us. And revival's not going to come until we do our bit. So I'm going to read you my favorite account of revival. I've been studying the 18... As I said, I'm doing a film on the 1859 revival, and this comes from that revival. Uh, it took place in a school in uh, Coleraine in Northern Ireland. And... Um, Perhaps you'd just like to, if you want, close your eyes and just try and sort of imagine uh, what is happening. I, I've um, changed the names. 19th century writing is very irritating. They leave out the names of people and the names of places, so I, I, I've sort of put that in and changed the English a bit. In the class, a boy called Sean, was seen to be deeply touched by the Holy Spirit. The master, seeing that the little fellow was not fit to work, advised him to go home and call upon the Lord in private. With him, he sent an older boy who had found peace with Jesus the day before. On their way, they saw an empty house and went in there to pray together. They continued in prayer in the empty house till Sean felt his soul blessed with sacred peace. Rejoicing in this new and strange blessing, the little fellow said, I must go back and tell Mr. Nicholson. Sean, a little while ago, had been too sorrowful to do his work, soon entered the school with a beaming face, and going up to the master said, Oh, Mr. Nicholson, I'm so happy. I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. Strange words in cold times. Natural words when upon the simple and the young the spirit is poured out and they feel what is meant by Christ in you, the hope of glory, and utter it in the first terms that come. The attention of the whole school was attracted. Boy after boy silently slipped out of the room as the Holy Spirit fell. After a while, the master stood on something that enabled him to look over the wall of the playground. There he saw a number of boys ranged around the wall on their knees in earnest prayer, everyone apart. The scene overcame him. Presently, he turned to the pupil who had already been a comforter to Sean and said, Do you think you can go and pray with these boys? He went out and kneeling down among them, began to implore the Lord to forgive their sins for the sake of him who had borne all upon the cross. Their silent grief soon broke into a bitter cry. 
As this reached the ears of the boys in the room, it seemed to pierce their hearts as by one consent they cast themselves upon their knees and began to cry for mercy. The girls' school was above, and the cry no sooner penetrated to their room than, hearing it a call to themselves, they too fell upon their knees and wept. Strange disorder for schoolmaster and mistress to have to control. The place was full of the presence of God. The united cry reached the adjoining streets. Every ear prepared by the Spirit at once interpreted it as the voice of those seeking Jesus. One after another, the neighbors came in and at once cast themselves upon their knees and joined in the cry for mercy. They increased and continued to increase till first one room, then another, then a public office on the premises. In fact, every available spot was filled with sinners seeking God. Clergymen of different denomination and, and men of prayer were sought, and they spent the day in pleading for the mourners. Thus passed hour after hour of that memorable day. Dinner was forgotten, tea was forgotten, and it was not until 11 o'clock at night that the school premises were freed from their unexpected guests. Now that is revival. That is the presence of God coming down in power over a school in this case. And, um, and people just unable to resist and, and gave their lives to Jesus. And that is the sovereignty of God. And you may, it, the description may have sounded a bit weird for you because nowadays when we come to the Lord, we're called to the front of church and said, say after me, and okay, you're now a Christian. But up until recently, that was never the way. What used to happen was the presence of God would come and convict the people of their sin. Even little children were convicted of their sin. And then they would, they would even maybe see hell in front of them. And they would cry out for mercy and say, what must I do to be saved? And then other Christians or a Christian would come around them and point them to Jesus and say, Jesus is the answer. He can forgive your sins. Give your life to Jesus. And then they would, it would, might take a few minutes, it might take a few hours or even weeks uh, or they may never see it, but they see it and then they give their lives to Jesus and they're filled with Holy Spirit and with the love and the joy uh, of knowing Jesus. And I, I hope that we get back to that because each one had an encounter with God in their um, salvation. Here are a few descriptions. I better have a drink before I say that. Here are a few examples of revival. These are first-hand accounts. There, every time I pause, it's a new, it's a new uh, account. But it'll give you an idea uh, and hopefully whet your appetite. And uh, In a moment, as if struck with a thunderbolt, about a hundred persons were prostrated on their knees, sending forth a wail from hearts bruised, broken, and overwhelmed with horror, such as will never be forgotten. Most of those so impressed and awakened found peace and comfort in a very short space of time, and then their countenances shone with a sweetness and glory beyond description. Very many of them received a marvelous fluency and power of prayer, a hatred of sin, a love of the Savior, a zeal for his cause, affection for one another, and an, ex an anxiety about perishing sinners, took absolute possession of their hearts and literally ruled and governed their actions. The girl who had found peace on the previous Sabbath evening stood up declared that she was happy in the Lord and simply added the words, come to Jesus. The effect of her invitation was like the effect of an electric shock 
And many came that evening, weary and heavy laden to Jesus, and found rest for their souls. As he continued speaking, something amazing descended upon him and the whole school, on young and old, so that all broke out weeping. So powerful was the influence that the children were in dread. One little boy ran to his father and cried, Dear Father, judgment day has come. What followed was amazing. Some crying for mercy, some rejoicing having received deliverance, some praying, some singing, everything in confusion, no one caring. News of what happened spread from house to house and valley to valley, and people flocked to the church all through the day. For a time there was hardly any order at all, for as someone prayed or sang, it would set everyone on fire. The Spirit of God was resting amazingly and graciously on these two townships at that time, and his resting was glorious. You could feel him in the homes of the people, on the common and on the moor, and even as you walked along the road through the two townships. The presence of God was so powerful that you were constantly living in the expectation that something was going to happen. And the Spirit of the Lord was in the very air she was breathing. Whether they were in a meeting, walking along a road, in a boat, in a cinema, working in a field, the presence of God was everywhere. And that's revival. The presence of God is everywhere. Um, I'm going to now mention three things which I believe will help us get to revival. Um, They're three things that I feel are really, really important. They need to be taught in church. They need to be embraced by Christians. And they are all things that have been relatively lost in in the past. The first is prayer. Um, That's not a a surprise, I guess. Um, But I'm not talking about um, what I would call petition prayer, which most of us do, Uh, going into the closet, as it were, and asking God for a list of things. This is travailing prayer. Travailing prayer is when it's a gift from God and it's when you you know what's on God's heart and he burdens your heart with what's on his heart and then you birth it in prayer. Travailing prayer, birthing prayer, um, breakthrough prayer, whatever you want to call it. And... uh, um, and, and, and this has been lost. Uh, it, when people travail, they pull heaven down to earth, and really things, things happen. There are some who travail in the body of Christ, uh, but it is largely lost. Um, it's hardly taught at all, and uh, we really need to get it back. Um, it's uh, Lauren. Ask Lauren. She travails, and... Uh, there, there, there are people dotted around the country, but we need, it, we need everybody to understand about travailing prayer and those who appeal called to ask God for it. I've I found, um, and I re- relate them in here, that um, I've found connections to every revival that we've had, every main revival has been uh, connected with travailing prayer. So it's really important. Here are a couple of examples um, from history. Uh, William Bramwell was a wonderful Methodist uh, revivalist, and he was in uh, Dewsbury in 1792, um, and he believed that revival was going to come. He wanted revival. So he set up prayer and um, prayed for a year, but nothing happened, but he still thought something was going to happen. And somebody wrote this. Prayer meetings were established in the morning 
and at the early hour of five o'clock, take note, many met to aid him in asking for the desired Pentecost. An able assistant was found in a pious woman then visiting the neighborhood, Anne Cutler. Well did she live up to her title of praying nanny. By four o'clock in the morning, this enthusiastic woman would rise and plead with all her energy on behalf of the parched and desolate church. In another room not far distant, the deep earnest tones of the young preacher's voice might at the same moment be heard in an agony of intercession for the same blessing. And revival came. And it was the 1794 Great Yorkshire Revival that was the result of that. And Duncan Campbell, who was the leader of the Hebrides Revival of 1949, he wrote this. I could take you to a little cottage in the Hebrides and introduce you to a young woman. She's not educated, but I have known that young woman to pray heaven into a community, to pray power into a meeting. I have known that young woman to be so caught in the power of the Holy Ghost that men and women around her were made to tremble. <coughs> Pardon me. That's prayer. I wish I could pray like that, Lord. Um, and from studying the 1859... I've found that there <clears throat> is a, something called the spirit of prayer. Now, I thought this, when they kept mentioning it, I thought this was just a euphemism for prayer, but it isn't. And uh, the spirit of prayer is when you, the people were so full of the Holy Spirit that they felt compelled to pray, that they, they prayed in such a passionate way. They, their prayers were full of faith, and people were just amazed that new Christians who were doing this um, were prayed with such authority. And this is, uh, it's like having an unction to pray, I believe. I've asked a few intercessors around whether they know anything about the spirit of prayer, and, and some said they did, and some said they'd actually experienced it. But again, it's something that's lost, virtually lost, and we need to get it back. We need to ask God uh, to, be, to have that gifting of the spirit of prayer. Here are um, three examples that, uh, from the revival. It may be mentioned that one of the noted effects of the revival is the spirit of prayer which has fallen copiously upon all grades and ages. The public prayers are so fervent and impressive now that most hardened and unbelieving are obliged to confess that there is something supernatural in them. We have been struck by the fact that so much of the spirit of prayer has possessed the Lord's people. They draw heaven into every meeting. Prayer meetings are attended by hundreds, and then such prayers, so earnest, so scriptural, prayers like those of the old Puritans, which go up like red-hot bolts to heaven. Again, I'd love to pray like that. And that's, that's what the Holy Spirit and, and, the, and the presence of God does. The second um, point is the baptism of fire or holiness. Um, again, I, in my research, I kept coming across these men and women who were ordinary preachers, mainly men, because it was a long time ago, that they, they were ordinary preachers, and then they had this encounter with God which took them way up, and they became revivalists. And I, after several years, I identified this as the baptism of fire, which again, I mean, I've been talking about this for 25 years, and so when I started, it had pretty well vanished, and then suddenly... Uh, Quite a number of people started to talk about it. Nothing to do with me, but obviously Holy Spirit was speaking to a lot of people. And here are a, a couple of examples. 
Duncan Campbell again. After spending 17 years in a barren wilderness, baffled and frustrated in Christian work and witness, I suddenly came to realize that God had made provision for clean hands and a pure heart. And on my face in my own study at five o'clock again in the morning, I came to know the recovering power of the blood of Christ. I know that in some small measure, the revival in Sky and later in the Hebrides must be related to the experience of that morning. What was it that led me into this full realization of the glorious deliverance of the Holy Ghost? I answer in one word, a baptism from God. Explain it as you will, it was a baptism from God. That experience was in my case preceded by a spiritual hunger, a longing for God to do something. I think we've all got that in us. And the second example is uh, uh, a leader of the 1904 Welsh Revival, E. Kerry Evans. The most I expected was some help to overcome my bad temper. But instead of that, I was baptized with streams of life-giving, cleansing, transformation power for about half an hour that made me feel clean and joyous, joyous, joyous to the depth of my being. I have traced uh, eight of the leaders of the Welsh Revival of 1904 um, experienced the baptism of fire just before the revival. The uh, biblical verse, here we go, oh, she's ahead of me, oh no, there we go. Luke 3.16, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, we've all known the Holy Spirit bit. I mean, that came back to us really in 1904, 1905. But the fire bit um, was lost. It, 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 I believe that they're meant to be connected together. And when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you should receive the fire as well. But it hasn't been taught, largely. And... It's sort of been disconnected. I have a dear friend who um, I spoke upon this uh, eight years ago in my town um, at a conference I put on, and one of the speakers, a wonderful lady, I, she told me that she'd experienced the baptism of fire, so I asked her to testify to it. And uh, she said that she was in a church in Israel, and suddenly she realized that God wanted to give her something. And she, that the presence of God just went whoosh on her. And she felt the desire to sin just come off her. And she, that was years ago. And she's still living this holy, godly, wonderful life. You can see it in her face when you see her. And uh, that, that's what the baptism of fire does. It, it's, um, it's a key to the life of power. Because the more... Um, what it does, it, it gives you more of God and less of you. So he can use you more. And uh, it, it's explained in Isaiah 6. You remember the coal, hot coal on the, on the lips of uh, Isaiah. Uh, and um, what was happening there was he was uh, purged of his sin and therefore God could use him more. And so God could... Um, um, God commissioned him and so lifted him up and because he was able to use him. But even if we don't get the baptism of fire, we need to be holy. We need to um, live a holy life. And that's not easy these days. Um, with the sexualization of society, uh, we have to be really careful. And the Bible verse that strikes me is the one that says, the eyes are the windows of the soul. And what we watch is so important. Um, there was uh, a story of a, uh, a man uh, who had a, a young child, uh, a son. And this son would see angels everywhere. And he would talk to the angels. And um, the, the father was really annoyed because he couldn't see angels. And so he said one day, he said, son, ask the angel, what, why can't I see him? And the answer was, you've seen too much evil. 
and there is so much evil around. I don't, I've never used the word evil really in the past, but there is so much evil in our society today and on television, on the news. Um, I mean, the news is always bad. That drags us down. How can we live godly lives focusing on the Lord when we watch the news and, and, and other things on, on television? Um, the secret is peace. If we're at peace, then we are closer to God. And I'll give you an example from my own life recently. I got really depressed in the um, lockdown, the second one. First one, I was able to sit in my garden and sunbathe. It was great. But uh, the second one was not good. And I, was, I don't have a bubble. I'm single. Uh, I live on my own. And it was really difficult. And also, at the time, I was focused, I focused for years on uh, American and, and British politics. And, um, and I was, in fact, God had given me three words, uh, righteousness, truth, and justice. And I had a painting done, which was in my view, uh, where I sat. And uh, I would hear of these things coming out of America and, and our nation. And I would look at the, 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 the painting, and I would just weep. The unrighteousness, the lies, the injustice that is throughout our societies is just horrible. I never thought I would in my lifetime see anything like it. And so I would just weep and weep. And it just was not good for me being on my own. And so I had to fast um, following this politics for several months to get back. But the way I got back was practicing what I preached. And I often preach that we need to set our minds on things above. So I went to my website and I started to read the revival accounts that I had put on there. And that just lifted me up and brought me, uh, brought me back. So please use my website for that as well. By reading these stories of people, there are lots of biographies on there too, it will encourage you and lift you up. Finally, the third point is testimony. Now, testimony is so important. Um, it's so underrated. Uh, it has two... Um, there are two things. One, it changes the atmosphere um, in a room. And the second thing is that it, um, it keeps biblical truths alive. Now, um, you saw what happened when that boy um, testified in the school and the presence of God just came down. That's what testimony does. And... Uh, um, uh, Todd was saying to you, bring your testimonies. Please bring your testimonies. The enemy knows the power of testimony, and he always says to you, oh, your testimony isn't really anything, um, and you don't testify. But testimony is incredibly powerful. And the reason for it is the word testimony in Hebrew is eduth, and eduth means do it again, Lord, with the same power and authority. So every time you're testifying, you're saying to God, God, please do it again with your same power and authority. I think that is incredible. I just, I just love that. Um, there is uh, a different type of, uh, of testimony. Um, there was a, a, a friend of mine told me the other day, of he was in India years ago now, and uh, at, at a big revival um, meeting of a quarter of a million people, and uh, a, a, a blind man was prayed for, and he was healed. And that's, I mean, nowadays we're used to it. Praise God that blind people can get healed. But this guy had no eyeballs. And we've even heard of new eyeballs coming, and that is just even more amazing. But this man saw without eyeballs. And people, he was tested and tested, and people saw what had happened, this incredible miracle. And three quarters of the people in the stadium gave their lives to Jesus. And then he went home to his village, and everybody in the village gave their lives to Jesus. That's the power of testimony. That was the testimony of God, that God's miracle. 
Um, it, it's so important. And regarding biblical truths, we, I've already shown you uh, uh, three truths that have been lost or nearly lost. Travailing prayer, the spirit of prayer, the baptism of fire. And it doesn't happen because people don't testify. My friend um, who testified at my meeting, I said to her, how often have you testified to this? She said, never. So this is the first time. So how can that, how can we know what is available to us unless people who experience these things tell us? So um, if we don't, these truths become, uh, people stop teaching about them, and then they, uh, you read the truth in the Bible, and you think, well, that's just for New Testament times. So we, we must keep these things alive. And it's shocking how quickly these truths go. It can be just 20 years. I mean, the baptism of fire, um, it, it, it first appeared uh, after New Testament times in 1740s. And then it disappeared again for, for 50 years. Then it came back from America. Then it disappeared again. And it's now been gone for nearly 100 years. It, it's, it, they, these things can go very quickly. So um, the, I'll finish with this um, Bible verse. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. These truths, when they're revealed, belong to us forever. And we mu must remember that Bible verse and keep these truths alive. So, revival is... It's about the presence of God. And I know you've been, you've, you've been learning that for the last uh, few weeks. But I hope that this has given you more of a practical idea of how the presence of God works and how we need the presence of God. We so, as, as Todd said, we so desperately need uh, revival. We need a reformation of our society. We so need a reformation of our society. And... Uh, so please pray for revival. Long for revival. Read, read my, the, the, the things on my website to, to give you a hunger for revival. Um, because I know you haven't experienced it, but we, we, we so, so need it. And if you feel called, ask God for the gift of travailing prayer, for the gift of the baptism of fire, for the gift of the spirit of prayer. And... And, and get engaged, because this nation can't be transformed without your help. That's why you're here. That's why you, God has embraced you, because he needs us to be in partnership with him to, do his, to fulfill his plans and purposes. So I'll, I'll just finish with a, with a prayer. Oh, heaven, just, we just ask you to come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we can do nothing without you. Your presence is everything to us, Lord. In our personal lives, for this nation, we need your presence. And so, Lord, I ask you to come over this nation. I believe, I believe that, Holy Spirit, you are hovering over this nation. I believe you're waiting for us to do something, to pull you down, uh, onto the earth and bring revival about. And so, Lord, I pray that you speak to each person here and help them to know what their part is in this great plan that you have to save our nation. And, Lord, I pray you will release these gifts amongst the people. Lord, please, the spirit of prayer, the travailing prayer, the baptism of fire, Lord, just release those to us. I pray. Amen. Great. Michael, stay up here for just a second. Thank you so much for that. Whoa. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say thank you for 
stewarding these stories, these testimonies of what God has done in this nation. I, I, as I'm listening to you talk and, and just thinking, man, that's extraordinary. How do we not know about this? And it's, and it's what you've shared, you know, that, that all these things have happened, but, but they're so easily and quickly lost to history. And um, what you're doing and, and what you've given to us, that website, uh, the books that you've written, and just the stories you've shared with us this morning, it's a real gift to us um, as a body of Christ and, and uh, you know, speaking for our church specifically, but to the body of Christ in general. And so thank you, first of all, for, for all that you've done for that. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. And, you know, listening to those stories again, I, I think I, I, um, I'm just challenged, you know? I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's amazing to me that somehow those, these things have, have, by and large, just kind of faded out of our consciousness and, and our expectation of what God can do. But hopefully this morning as you hear these stories, I, one thing I just want to say is that, you know, I, I don't know how it strikes you. Um, it might sound frightening to you. It might sound intimidating to you. I, I don't know. But I, I want to remind you that the presence of God is good and that you can trust Him and that, uh, and that what's happening there is the thing that really we all long for. You know, I think we all watch the news. I was thinking while he was talking about the news, I, <laughs> I relate to what you're saying. I think I've grown co so accustomed to just negative news all the time that I forget that what, what people really need is to encounter God. And that's what really sets, sets people free. And so he referenced actually um, what happens when God moves in a culture. He, re he referenced Al Malanga, Guatemala, is it? Hmm. That what, what happened there, because he, he talked about the, the vegetables. And <laughs> what happened there was the Spirit of God came in that community in such a powerful way that uh, basically the jails are, are not used anymore because there's no crime. Bars have closed down, been transformed into churches. You know, normally it's the other way around, but there, like, yeah. basically such a, a hunger for God and a holiness overtook that community that they just were like, you know, all the things that, that were corrupting the community just sort of faded away, and the presence of God was so powerful that one of the interesting byproducts was that the, the, the fruit trees and the vegetables began to grow in this supernatural way, and I believe uh, that the, the trees were, were putting out uh, a yield 10 or 12 times a year, I think that's right, or four times a year. I mean, it's just eight. Really eight times a year. Yeah. An unusual amount of times. And the vegetables that were growing were several times larger than normal. And it seemed like just a, a taste of what happens when God's presence comes. And, and I, you know, I, I'm, to be honest, you know, I'm not a big vegetable eater, so, <laughs> so that's not all that exciting to me, but I look at our culture and, I, and just the sadness and the sorrow that I feel when I look at it and, and how broken it is and how lost it is. That's, this is the kind of thing that, that when God comes and begins to move, that, that that's how He heals the land. That's how He heals us. And this is not something to fear. This is something to welcome. And there's all things, there's things for all of us that we will have to let go of and things that we'll have to repent of. But ultimately, it's that freedom. It's freedom for which Christ has set us free. That's what Michael is talking about. Lauren, do you want to add anything to this? Yeah, and I just want to say um, um, that we were spending time with Michael yesterday, and um, just we were in Castleton, and it's okay if I quote you. He just, he just said, I just adore this nation. And I think that that's important, that as he's sharing these stories of past revivals, like the love for the UK is so within him that, that his passion to see God move is so great, but it's, but it's birthed out of a, a love for the people. And so I actually want to just um, pray one more time for us as we conclude our service, um, that God would impart to us a greater love, a deeper love for England. I think right now we're all like, go England, you know, because <laughs> like this is probably like the most love for England that we've had in a long time because of what's happening tonight. But I do, what I want to say, let's pray that the Spirit of God would move in us in the midst yeah. of what's happening with football. Like, that's awesome. I love that. But, but Lord, may we be moved for something even deeper. Let us, let us love this nation um, in a way that moves us to pray, that moves us to hunger for more of him, that moves us to, for our hearts to be broken uh, for those around us who don't know the Lord. So um, I just want to glean from what he's carrying, um, which is a deep love um, for, for uh, God to move in, in, in this country. Um, and if you guys want to agree with us on that, did we want to 
yeah. bring the band, band up as well. Up. We just thought we'd end with um, and sing again the song, the God of Revival song, um, just to conclude um, our time. Yeah, great. So did you want to pray? Yeah. So I will pray. Um, and, uh, and why don't we just stand as we end our time? Um, and, you know, if anything that's been said today has, has moved your spirit in some way, one of the testimonies from the revivals, anything that he shared, um, then, you know, our response is that, to say, yes, God, more. <laughs> more of that. We, we long for more of that today. Um, and, and um, you know, may we be conduits of his spirit in this land. Um, I think that, that the final thing I want to say is that we have to hear these stories because it's our responsibility to steward to our generation what God wants to do. So these are stories from the past, but we want God to move now in, in our generation, don't we? And so let's open our hands to receive, um, and then we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then we'll conclude with um, this song. So... Father God, we just thank you for what you have done in the UK. We thank you for the moves of revival that have happened in this land. But with God, we say now is the time. Lord, we long for more, God. Let your revival come in our time, in our generation, God. Move us to pray, God. Yes, Move Lord. us to hunger right. for more of your spirit in our lives, God. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would place in us a love for the UK, a love for England that comes from your heart, God, that goes deeper yes, than football, Lord, but that, go, that is attached to the love of Christ poured out on the cross for England, Lord. So pour out your love in us, God. Let us be filled with compassion for our neighbors. Let us be filled with a longing to see you move in our nation once again in jesus name yes lord amen amen thank you for listening today to listen to more messages like this one head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast we are looking forward to seeing you soon